Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. My name is Kyle, and I hope y'all are having an amazing, fantabulous Monday. The NBA regular season has concluded, and there's this weird day in between when the NBA play-in round actually starts and when the regular season ends. That's what I was going to say. All right, that's a great way to kick off this podcast. Anyways, so in that day in between, I thought we'd bring back our friend Walter Mitchell to chat with us for a good hour or so, bring back as we dubbed last time, the Young Rock and Walter Mitchell Power Hour here on a Monday. But I would like to just talk about a few things that intrigued me right out the gate. First off, Clippers lose. They get to be the four seed. Nuggets get to be the three seed, which means Nuggets, Blazers, first round matchup. MVP Jokic, Damian Lillard, it's going to be a fun series. Hornets fans, I am so... So, so sorry that you blew a 15-point fourth-quarter lead to lose to the Washington Wizards. They fall to the 10th seed. Wizards get to be the 8th seed. And we're now one Wizards win away from those epic Wizards and Nets matchups coming up for a second time, this time in a seven-game playoff series. For those who don't remember, they played like 149-145 games earlier in the season. I think Washington even won the season series against Brooklyn. But anyway, so Washington plays the Celtics at 6 o'clock Tuesday. Well, 9 o'clock East Coast time. That sucks to be all you on the East Coast. 6 o'clock East Coast time. I'm sorry, 6 o'clock West Coast time. Wow, that was just a great way to start off. At 6 o'clock East Coast time, so 3.30 on the West Coast. You've got the the terrible play-in game between the Hornets and Pacers that nobody gives a shit about. And uh, in the West, we got our matchup, baby. Lakers, Warriors. Steph went bonkers, and I made this joke on the Instagram. Like, imagine telling someone seven years ago, Steph Curry would score 46 points, taking 22 three-point shots to advance to a play-in round for the Warriors who now play in San Francisco. The NBA has turned upside down. A lot of that thanks to good old Stephen Curry. So we get that play-in round. We get the Spurs and the Grizzlies on Wednesday, followed up by the Lakers and Warriors, and the two series that are set, as mentioned before. Nuggets Blazers, and for the second year in a row, sucks to be Luka and the Mavericks, 
because they went from the seven seed, climbed up to the six seed, then jumped the Blazers to the five seed, and your reward for being the five seed, playing the exact same Clippers team that you played last year. Sorry, not sorry, but maybe they have a chance to beat him this year. They went six without Porzingis last year, and this year you've got Josh Richardson in the thick of things, and your third best player is not Trey Burke, so maybe there's a better chance. It's Tim Hardaway, to be honest. (laughs) All right, Mavericks, good luck to you as the five seed. Everyone else, we got to watch this epic play in tournament to find out how the cookie is going to crumble. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. What <laughs> <laughs> better? <laughs> good to hear your voice again. How are you? You too. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, you know. I was reading a fun story that made me think of you just now, like while I was waiting to come in, is that we were talking about gambling stories last week. And the fun thing that was going around was that some person bet their house on the Portland Trailblazers to win 42 games. And then on the last game of the season, they had 41 wins. And wow. <laughs> that was that was the story going around because it, at the start of the season, it got reposted by Damian Lillard, who's the star player for the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> and then they ended up winning the last game of the season by like 25 points. So the guy had to sweat it out all you know, all week long if they were going to get it or months long. And then the last game of the season, they ended up killing him. So he didn't have to stress about that one. (laughs) (laughs) That was a, uh, that was the, the like trust your or be smart about your gambling story from the 1970s. Come full (laughs) circle. (laughs) That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, that is uh, that is a little much for my tastes, but that guy, uh, that guy, as stupid as it was, it did end up working out in the end for him. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. So, what's been on your mind recently? I know that football slowed down quite a bit. So, what's been on your mind recently? Well, I've been thinking about the preseason and wondering the NFL preseason. Wondering why it would be to any team's advantage to play their starters um, with this being a novel 17-game season, an abbreviated preseason. Um, and some of the teams will take note that last year they didn't play preseason games, and many of them looked pretty sharp week one without it. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Cardinals won at uh, Santa Clara in week one. I I'm just was just writing it on revengeofthebirds.com about this and figuring that even though the Cardinals have the Chiefs in week two on ESPN, which they'll try to bill as, you know, a preseason showdown between Mahomes and Murray, which would be wonderful entertainment. I just don't see it happening um, on either team's part. I don't see what, you know, why they would do that. Um, 
because of the, you know, 17 games and one run, you know, whether they should really preserve the players as much as they can. Yeah, COVID forced a lot of things to adapt. I was making the jokes at the beginning is that we evolved about 10 years in 10 weeks, but now we evolved 10 years in 10 months because COVID kind of put a damper on everything. But, I mean, you look at the structure of the NFL offseason and it's totally changing where, you know, some people are not going to participate in OTAs and it's virtual meetings before then where people don't understand the purpose of having these giant meetings where you come into the office when, you know, last year, everything worked seamlessly without those. So a lot of it was deemed unnecessary. And and the part with football is that there's always going to be physical pain. And it's always about trying to manage when the pain starts to kick in, as well as when do you start actually like how much practice does one need to avoid getting hit? Like how much is it muscle memory to avoid like going on the field and having some sort of serious injury? Cause you're not up to game speed. It's a, it's a tough thing to navigate. And I agree with you with the idea that preseason games could probably be done away with, especially with the fact that now you have 17 regular season games for most teams you have to play in the wild card there's only two first round buys now so that's 17 plus a wild card plus three more playoff games could lead to 21 games by the end of the season right and uh those extra preseason games are i think are a little egregious yeah i you know i kind of like them because you know i like watching players compete for roster spots I mean, I, I like watching the younger players. This is, for some of them, the only chance all year they'll get extended playing time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, oftentimes we don't really know what we have yet until we see them on the field. And so from a, that standpoint, from a fan of, you know, in my case, uh, the Cardinals have a lot of intriguing younger players that I'd love to get a good look at. Um, for example... For whatever reason, Chris Streveler is taking a lot of heat for how he played against the Rams. Um, when, you know, here was a guy who was quarterback two for the Cardinals, beat out Brett Hundley, which was surprising, uh, was quarterback two all season long, never took a meaningful snap other than at quarterback, other than doing a couple of quarterback sneaks earlier in the season. And then he's thrust into the Rams game in L.A. Um, on, in week 17, you know, when Kyler Murray got hurt. And, by with, the way, it's a winner-go-home game. <laughs> it, it, exactly. And, you know, I thought he played pretty well under the circumstances. I mean, imagine going into your first game and looking across at Aaron Donald and that number one Rams defense. And, uh, you know, actually, Streveler completed 68% of his passes. He was a one-on-one touchdown-interception ratio. And the interception came on a play that should have been a free play that the refs didn't call. Clearly, there was a ram in the, in the um, jumped off into the neutral zone, which, which Streveler wisely saw and thought he could just pump one downfield to try to get lucky. And unfortunately, Troy Hill intercepted it and took it to the house, which was 
oh, really a tough break yeah. for the Cardinals right before the end of the half. And the Cardinals had the lead at that time. And, you know, the, the graphic was that the Rams are like 53-0 and under McVay when they lead at halftime. Yeah, so I that, thinking, that's one of the most ridiculous stats that I don't think people appreciate just how ridiculous the idea of someone being like 53-0. and 0. I remember this. This was in the, the divisional game when we were saying get a lead at halftime is all that matters because the Rams were 53-0 and 0 under McVay with a halftime lead. And Aaron Rodgers was, I think, 54-2 and 2 at Lambeau with a halftime lead. It's ridiculous, it those is. two stats. <laughs> That is incredible. I mean, and one yeah, of those losses, are... if you want to play this game, one of those losses was to Josh Rosen, and the other was to Carson Wentz. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember you posting that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Rosen, and... that's going to be Rosen's claim to fame. Yes. Well, uh, I'll never forget that game because I know it happened, and then the very like two days late. No, not two days later. Two hours later, Mike McCarthy was fired. Yeah. <laughs> like that... when you lose to Josh Rosen at home, it's game over for you. <laughs> yeah. Someone's getting fired. Someone's getting fired when you lose at home to Josh Rosen. <laughs> yeah, that was a bizarre game. Um... <laughs> Those last two seasons in Green Bay were so bizarre, but. To your, to your point about the 53-0 and 0 with McVeigh, yes. And McVeigh, it's funny that you mentioned him because he's the guy who doesn't play any of his starters in preseason games anymore. And it seems like as time goes on, that's going to be what preseason games are. It's second team reps, it's third team reps, and it's deciding who's going to make the team or make the practice squad between second and third teamers and third and fourth teamers. Right, right. Yep, and... uh you know, with Strebler, I, you know, a week later, the Rams, you know, just smoked the Seahawks in Seattle. That was one of the, that and, was one of the strangest playoff games I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Russell Wilson had a really rough day. His stats were worse than Strebler's. So, I mean, I mean, and that's what the Rams defense is capable of. I mean, these guys had the best defense going in the NFL last year. And that's why Brandon Staley's now a head coach after one year of being a coordinator. Um, you know, he, they just had it going. And so, I mean, there's has to be context to this, but if we had had a preseason and saw what Streveler could do um, as Cardinal fans, maybe we'd have a different perspective. And now I'm pretty excited that, you know, to be able to watch him and, and Cole McDonald and uh, Colt McCoy is now on the roster too. So, you know, oh my goodness, it, that's right. Colt McCoy is not in the NFC East anymore. That's that's going to be so shocking next season when Colt McCoy is not in the NFC East, beating the Seahawks in Seattle for some reason. <laughs> well, maybe that's why the Cardinals signed him because uh, Brett Hundley helped beat the Cardinals, uh, helped beat the Seahawks in Seattle two years ago. When, yeah, when the Cardinals upset them late in the season, um, that used to be the Cardinals' mo. I, I made one of my most popular jokes was the one that went one of the most viral at the time was just the Cardinals simply exist to finish fourth in the NFC West and win a random ass play, a December game in <laughs> Seattle. They're just going to finish fourth in the NFC West and just magically win a game in Seattle in December. It's every year something like that happens. <laughs> 
Well, I we're hoping to break that trend. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I know right now the Cardinals are the consensus number, you know, um, fourth team in that division. And, uh, you know, I think the Cardinals can sneak up on the others this year. I really do. Yeah, that seems crazy because the Cardinals were projected to win 10 games last year. And I understand, like, pretty much everyone non-Packers division in the NFC has gotten better over the offseason. But or and Saints, non-Packers and Saints division. But they were supposed to win ten games last year, and now you bring back JJ Watt. You well, the Jordan Hicks thing was weird. I mean, I didn't know enough about it, but I, I just remember he led the league in tackles his first year in Arizona, so that fell apart kind of quick. And you bring in JJ Watt, and you have the progressions of Kyler Murray in that offense. So that I would guess that they'd be a playoff team for sure next year, but also 49ers got much better. Seahawks got better. Rams got significantly better with the Matt Stafford upgrade. I think the Rams are going to look totally different next year. Yeah. I mean, the Rams are going to be, I think they are the prohibitive favorites in the division. Um, yeah. I, I don't argue with you on that. I yeah. think, Beyond the Bucks, because the, the NFC is weird right now, because I look at it and I'm like, now that we know all the rosters and the draft is over and all that, like Bucks are number one, and then it's everyone else. Like It's everyone else just in a giant gumbo pot right now of Cardinals and 49ers and Packers and Saints and Cowboys. It's crazy right now. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone but the Bucks have um, perceptible weaknesses. Um you know, particularly this uh, with a shortened cap this year, not everyone could address every one of their needs um, sufficiently. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of coaching going on to try to cover up for and find, uh, you know, um, good solutions for areas of you know all three phases where there might be a little short personnel-wise. It's going to make it interesting. Um, I still can't believe the Bucks managed to get all their players re-signed under a shortened cap. I, I don't, I don't know how they pulled that off, but I mean, they have a virtual all-star team. Yeah, um, and oh, by the way, brought back everybody from that team and Antonio Brown. And then they got to the draft and they just said, ah, we can pick a quarterback. We've got depth at every position. Let's just pick a quarterback because we need one of those because we only have two of them. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jason Light, the GM of the, of the Bucks, you know, I was, you know, I mean, Bruce Arians was in, found himself in the perfect storm in Tampa Bay. I mean, because, you know, when you look at it, I'm not sure any other NFL team would have hired Arians the way things finished up in Arizona and with his health concerns. Um, but because Jason Light was an assistant GM for the Cardinals in um, Arians' first year. Yeah, so he, uh, he was part of the group that hired Bruce Arians. I was about to say that. Yeah, I mean, he had that connection with Jason Light and it was quite a gamble on their part to go with Arians 
you know, yeah, you know, and, and not you, especially given the fact that Dirk Cutter obviously was the Jameis offense, but Dirk Cutter ha- was one of the best offensive coordinators in football that they fired Lovey Smith in order to promote to head coach. So it was yeah. definitely a big gamble on their part. Yeah. And, um, you know, but without that connection, I don't think Arians gets fired. I mean, gets hired, excuse me. And then, you know, to have Tom Brady walk through the doors in year two with Gronkowski, Antonio Brown. I mean, it's just, was you know wow and arians did the smartest thing of his career after the bye week last year when when the bucks were up and down and with brady trying to run the arians vertical passing game he just turned it over to to, during the bye week to brady and just said look do your thing and, uh, and, and under most of these circumstances i subscribe to the idea that if you assign the coach a quarterback it's probably not going to work out like the position is so important where taylor a lot of like what happened for 25 years is people said we are going to run the west coast offense the quarterback gets drafted here's the west coast offense and it ruined a lot of quarterbacks most of them for the detroit lions but it kind of ruined a lot of quarterbacks for the last <laughs> 20 or so years and so well, now and we've started to see offenses tailored to the quarterbacks for example like Lamar Jackson in Baltimore being the gold standard of like totally changing your offense to your quarterback and changing everything you know but Arians was assigned Tom Brady and Arians adapted and evolved it took some growing pain to get there it took a 38 to 3 beat down by the Saints but he adapted and evolved and by the end they finally got things humming along because Tom Brady can't throw deep balls and he went from throwing I think like 11 interceptions in those first 11 or so games to I think like three or four the rest of the season and all of them right. were in the NFC championship game. Right. And then, you know, why Dinkin and Duncan in classic Brady style, then he was able to connect on some of the deep balls to Scotty Miller and stuff because teams were now, you know, coming up to crowd the, the other wide receivers. And, you know, Brady just has a, he plays cat and mouse with uh, every defense. If you just let him do his thing, he's that's what you're going to get. And Arians um, checked his ego at the door, let let Brady. In fact, he even said, "I didn't do sh-. You know, I just <laughs> sat back and watched, um, which was but, you know yeah. a, a very <laughs> honest confession from Arians. And I think you're going to see more of the same this year that. You know, it's going to be Brady's offense. He's going to be, you know, running it week to week. And, um, you know, and Arians can kind of um, enjoy the view. That's Um, the part that people don't realize, too. You were mentioning Arians, like, swallowing his pride. The other person who had to do that was Mike Evans because the Bucs went, like, 7-0 and to end the season while only targeting Mike Evans in the red zone. Like, it's ridiculous. That's one of the – I mean, I've been joking for, like, five years that Mike Evans is always wide receiver seven in fantasy football, where he's like, yeah, pretty good guy to have on your team, but nothing too impressive. Like, Mike Evans only got red zone targets. He was averaging, like, three or four catches a game. Like, it was a swallow your pride type of moment for him where – he's one of the best receivers in the NFL and he just 
was not a function of the offense. He was a decoy for six or seven weeks, and the sure. Bucks won every single game because here's A.B. with two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Brady's going to reward Gronk with two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Right. Leonard Fournette's going to start rushing for 100 yards a game and finally establish the run game. And Ronald right. Jones is going to be there. He was, he was all right at times. Yeah, and there's only one football, and they got like eight all-star skill players. So yeah. someone's going to have to, you know, um, <laughs> accept not getting targeted from game, from one game to the next, and or maybe even in a stretch of games. Plus, they have – look at their riches at tight end now. <laughs> I didn't I even mean, mention Chris Godwin either. <laughs> they have Gronkowski, maybe the greatest pass receiving tight end of all time, or right up there with with Kellen Winslow and the rest. And then behind him, they have OJ Howard, first round pick at tight end, <laughs> all world tight end athlete. Who, if he ever gets off, you know, gets um, on track, he could be an All Pro. You got Cameron Brake, who was a starter on, I don't know, 25 of the 32 teams. Yeah, the death, mean, to death taxes and Cameron Brake four-yard touchdowns. That's what you can count on every football season. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron Brake four-yard touchdowns and the every, every eight or so weeks Rex Burkhead touchdown. That you can always right. count on. <laughs> right. I mean, look at their running back room. Look at their wide receiver room. It's obscene. I, I've never seen anything like it. I don't know how in the world. Well, I know one reason why in the world this is happening is because everywhere Brady goes, he gives them the Giselle discount. Um, yeah, or at the very least, he got more than he did on the Patriots, but also restructured that contract after the season to save $18 million against the cap. And that. $18 million is fitting in Chris Godwin's franchise tag because Chris Godwin's at $16 million against the calf next year. I mean, again, this all is part of this, you know, um, this perfect storm. I mean, not only to get Brady coming through the door, he's like willing to, you know, be restructure paid. and take less because he's exactly like you said, the second breadwinner in his family. Exactly. And I see all these quarterbacks like Dak Prescott and everything, like demanding 40 million a year. I mean, really? I mean, yeah. can't you it's see what the market dictates, that, but the, the salary cap messes it up for the team. Right. I mean, you, you just can't, teams can't win with one player taking up like, a fifth of their salary cap, entire salary cap. I think just... four teams can win with a team with a quarterback taking up that salary cap. And no, none of them are the Cowboys. That is to your point. Yes. None of them are the Cowboys. Cause there are certain situations where I say, yes, your hands are tied behind your back. You kind of just got to do it. And uh, Mahomes, Lamar, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson. I mean, you could argue Russell Wilson, but the Seahawks again, they've been, Second round exit, missed playoffs, wild card, second round exit, wild card, wild card, second round exit, wild card in the last seven years. Well, the Seahawks are a classic example because they have the quarterback. They've been paying him handsomely. 
but they can't put the finishing touches on that roster. They can't protect Russell because they, you know, they don't have the money to extra money to, you know, sur- put put a first rate line in front of them. Well, you're they're constantly relying on draft picks, and you know, I mean, they're like the opposite of of the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks somehow found a way to get everybody under a cap and everyone's good at every position. They have no, no weaknesses and they're deep um, at virtually every position. I mean, and for a 17 game season, I mean, they are, they are as prepared as any team probably ever to, to cope with that and to, to actually handle it. And this is the worst part about it for the Seahawks is just as everything starts falling apart a little bit, I really like what they did with their draft class. Like I really, I love, I mean, I love what they did with the entire off season, to be honest, but I, I mean, the joke I made and I was being a little mean when I did it was I went, they only had a few picks in the draft. They, they got a corner, they got stone foresight, which if I told you there's an offensive lineman named stone foresight, that guy is guaranteed to be a star. If your name is stone (laughs) foresight and you're playing NFL offensive line. Um, But I I mean, I was being mean about picking Dwayne Eskridge because I said, Russell Wilson's like, I want an offensive line. The Seahawks said, we got you a fourth wide receiver, but I wanted an offensive line, but this guy can do everything Tyler Lockett does, but worse. And he's actually a pretty good wide receiver, to be honest. Like, I think he's going to help because their third wide receiver technically is David Moore. And I'm guessing they're still rolling like old ass Greg Olson out there at tight end. I don't know exactly who it is, but I, I get the weapons part of it from the Seahawks standpoint. And I love Gabe Jackson pickup. They bring back Carlos Dunlap. And yet I look around and I'm like, that roster got better, but so did everyone else in that division. And someone's got to lose 10 games. And I don't know which team it's going to be in the NFC West. Well, and, and their whole offensive coordinator situation is going to be interesting to watch because I thought that Brian Schottenheimer had Russell passing the best of his career. Um, and you know, I guess there was a philosophical, um, you know, difference of opinions as to how to run that offense. Um, they became very, very um, tacked down field oriented in ways that they hadn't been before. And with Metcalf and um, going deep and Lockett, um, you know, running free over the middle. I mean, they had an outstanding thing going there. So now I think they want to go back to focusing on running the football more. Um, they, you know, in certain ways that can protect Russell, but, you know, um, as an opponent, I'm, you know, as, as in a Cardinals fan, I'm kind of relieved they're going in that direction because, uh, you know, I mean, their passing game was really, really good. Um, and, you know, I thought Schottenheimer was doing an outstanding job. And they brought in Waldron, who had worked for a while. He was So Waldron, during that Super Bowl season, was like the guy behind Zach Taylor. And so he's gotten a couple crash courses in, like, being an offensive assistant right. in the NFL. 
Right. I, I don't know what kind of offense he's going to run. I don't know if they're going to try and run a run-dominant offense that Pete Carroll's been trying to establish for years and years. I have no idea, to be honest, what it's going to look like for the Seahawks next year. Right. But I already know that Russell Wilson and the organization are getting a divorce, but they're staying together for the children for another year. <laughs> and <laughs> I like describing it that way because it's the perfect it's the perfect way for people to understand exactly what it is. Like it's not Deshaun Watson where it's organizational incompetence. It's not Green Bay where the organization's failed him at every turn and he's over it. It's like they're just they're amicably looking for a divorce, but they're staying together for the children just for one more run together. And because it's a lot easier to trade Russell Wilson next year than it is this year on his contract. Yeah, well, I don't get that either. I mean, if you got a guy like Russell Wilson, who's a perennial candidate for MVP, I, I don't know why you'd ever get rid of him. I think that I think everyone's just exhausted. It's the same thing. I don't know if you know much about basketball, but the Portland Trailblazers had the same coach and two star players for nine years, and they made the playoffs every year and they just fired their coach. Where at a certain point, you just had to bring in something new to break up the band, or at least they're planning to fire their coach. If they make a deep playoff run, that might change. But Schneider, Carroll, and Russell Wilson have now been the face of that team post-Malcolm Butler. Like, they've been together 10 years, but post-Malcolm Butler, they've now been seven years of the exact same team. And I think everyone's just exhausted of the exact same thing every single year. Whereas I mentioned, Super Bowl 50, that was 2015, second round exit, 2016, missed the playoffs, 17 I think was wild card loss. I, I don't remember who they played that year, but then maybe that was the Kirk Cousins year. I don't know. But then 2018, they lost to the Cowboys in the wild card. 2019, they lost to the Packers in the divisional round. And then last year, lost to the Rams in the wild card. And I said last year when they gave, they started six and one and gave Pete Carroll a four year extension. I said, if they don't have a good run this year, that contract's going to look really bad. And then they had to double down and give John Schneider an eight year extension because he was leveraging the Lions' job to get a new contract extension from the Seahawks. Right. And so they kind of committed to those guys. And I guess they're not committed to a 34 year old quarterback who I, I do have to admit at times, like, as a Russell Wilson stan and someone who thinks that he's like criminally underrated and a first ballot Hall of Famer, there were times where I looked up and I'm like, he's just playing bad right now. Like the Buffalo game, the Rams game last year, the Cardinals game. Like at times I'm just like, dude, he's playing bad right now. And it just was strange to watch. Technically both Cardinals game or te- both Rams games, the one in the regular season. And then the one in the playoffs. I'm just like, Russell Wilson's playing bad at this point. And there's no way around that part of it, which I'd never seen before. I'd never seen Russell Wilson be bad and throw lots of interceptions that were unforced. Well, it's for the Rams, it's their defense just overwhelming. You know, if you don't have the line in front of Russell, he's not as Houdini esque in escaping anymore. Um, pressure. And uh, teams have, have smartly known how to um, box him into the pocket, uh, you know, whereas if he gets pushed up into the pocket, you know, his size becomes a disadvantage. Um, yeah, it's, it's an issue. I mean, I, you would have thought that by now they would have 
settled their offensive line situation better. And, you know, they've always been very competent on defense. Um, you know, Carroll does a good job. And with whomever he has as his defensive coordinator, they've all done solid jobs. And It's but, always good when you have a core of Bobby Wagner to work with. Like, if that's your starting point, you've got a good building block for your team. But I, I am surprised they've always had pretty good defenses after losing literally every piece of the Legion of Boom not named Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. Yeah, you know, and they've just been – Bobby Wagner's awesome. I mean, he's the Russell Wilson of middle linebackers. Um, all pro every year. Gets it done. He revolutionized, in my opinion, the the Mike linebacker position um, to where now it's all three-down athletes who can get quickly to the ball and, and be an asset in coverage, which is why the Cardinals went out and, and uh, drafted Zayvon Collins. Um, I'm really excited about that. It's the first time the Cardinals have ever invested a first round draft pick in the in a Mike linebacker. Yes, instead and, of what they do every year, which is draft an outside linebacker in the first round. <laughs> yeah, or a weak side linebacker who's was a college safety or you know, or um you know, like Dion Buchanan mm-hmm. and uh, or college outside edge guy like Hassan Reddick and tried to fit him into the weak side in you know the will inside linebacker role in their 34 defense and they're what they found out was you know the position requires instincts and the 10,000 hour rule um, that you just can't throw a guy in there who hasn't played inside linebacker before and expect him to take command and play at such a high level I mean, Wagner was an inside linebacker in, at Utah State. Um, it wasn't a, that tough a transition for him to go from there to the Seahawks defense. Um, he was made to order and ready to go. But at that time, when they when they drafted him, smaller, faster inside linebackers were just starting to come into vogue, like with Wagner and Luke Keekley and players like that. And now look at around the league, the league has exploded with it. You know, the, the kid at San Francisco, Fred Warner, the kid's a baller. Um, you know, Dion, um, <clears throat> Dion um, Jones at, at Atlanta. I've always liked him. You know, he's, he's quick to the ball. Devin White. Look at him. He's got a Devin Super Bush. Bowl. <laughs> yep, Devin Bush, who was on track till he got her injured. He'll be back this year. I mean, you ne- now have guys you don't take off the field, and it was a great way to adapt to modern 21st century offenses that are ro- RPO-oriented now and have mobile quarterbacks. Well, what ended up happening with Jordan Hicks? Because I know – I just remember he came from the Cardinals from the or to the Cardinals from the Eagles, and then he led the league in tackles in his first year. And then last year he started 16 games. I'm seeing here his stats were way down across the board, which I kind of knew because I just hadn't been hearing a lot about Jordan Hicks. But I mean, I I saw them draft Zayvon Collins, and then like a week later, it's like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna allow Jordan Hicks to seek a trade because he has a lot of respect in the locker room. I was like, wait. 
did am I missing something there because I'm not watching it close enough? Because I think over the last two years he's like been one of the top five league leaders in tackles, and just all of a sudden, nope, Cardinals draft his replacement and they're going to try and trade him. I was kind of surprised to see that. Well, it starts with is Jordan Hicks a three down linebacker and middle linebacker in the NFL? And the answer to that to me is no, because he's not swift of foot in coverage. And, you know, as a Mike linebacker, you got to, you got to cover tight ends at times. You got to cover speedy running backs and, you know, he's a step or two behind in coverage. So he, he, he's not ideal there. I mean, he works really hard and he, he tries to get the most out of what he has. And he, he's, you know, very competitive in trying to do what he in covering, but he's not as physically capable as others. Um, Cause he's not as fast. The, the other thing that became apparent this, this past year is yes, he makes tackles, but so many of them are like seven to eight yards you know, after running backs gained seven to eight yards, for whatever reason, um, Jordan Hicks isn't running downhill to the ball like middle linebackers should. Um, it became very apparent in the Seahawk win in overtime when he was out of the game and they put Tanner Vallejo in there um, next to Isaiah Simmons, which is very risky. They had two, two young guys in there. But Vallejo came up and made two great sticks um, on the Seahawk running backs in overtime, which led to the third down interception that that Isaiah Simmons made in you know on Tyler Lockett. Um, and you know they're just you know I mentioned at the time, and this is what we're missing. We, we're missing a middle linebacker who's going to you know plug those holes and do it fast, like now before you know in the NFL. Windows close have to close quickly, and Vallejo was doing it. Why wasn't Hicks? So that was a frustration. I mean, Hicks is great if you run blitz him, and he's great if you blitz him, period. He's a, he's a good blitzer. But you got to have a guy who's, you know, when he's not blitzing, makes, can make quick reads and fill those holes and get to the running backs before they're in, in the open field. So, you know, the, it's not the numbers of tackles that it's just where the tackles weren't being made and the athleticism and instincts that it takes to make those plays that made it at least clear to me and some others. And obviously to the Cardinals that they needed to upgrade that position. I have a couple of questions that I wrote down from before. So I'm kind of circling back to them. One of them was Jordan Hicks at this point, but the second one I wanted to ask you, because you're more of the football historian. Do you, can you think of a time in the last 40 years of football where, if not the two best, two of the three best defensive players in the entire sport played on the same team? Well, 40 years. <laughs> if you can go back as far as you've been watching football, because off the top of my head, I mean, I don't know who was like the best of the best at what time, but I think like how many teams had two first ballot Hall of Famers playing well, on their defense at the same time? I immediately think of the old Pete Steelers with Lambert and Mean Joe Green. Um, you know, that, that steel curtain 
back in their heyday was pretty special. But um, then you also had the Purple People Eaters, and they had about four well, Hall of Famers on there. Yeah, that's going back even further. Uh, yeah. Oh, is were... it? I thought they played each other in the Super Bowl one of those years. Oh, maybe they did. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my football knowledge is a little shaky, but back like four years ago, I could tell you what it was. But I thought one of those like four Super Bowls the Vikings played it, and I thought one of them was against the Steelers. Right. Well, Jack Lambert was a classic. See, Jack Lambert wouldn't be a Mike today on, you know, he'd be a two down guy. Um, he wouldn't be able to hold up in coverage the way these guys need to, um, you know, but he was, a you know, slobber knocker of a middle linebacker. I mean, he just, he dominated between the tackles and he took the romance out of any inside the tackles running game. Um, you know, and mean Joe green and, and, you know the the that whole um their whole steel curtain was uh ferocious uh you know you go back to the old rams with merlin olsen and deacon jones and that whole <laughs> the rams the rams had a fantastic defense back in the day um you know for a string of years there and you know and, and then the seahawks um you know, with the Legion of of of, uh, of Doom and Boom, with you know Chancellor, um, you know, with Bobby Wagner, with uh, the their outstanding corners with Richard Sherman, um, and Earl Thomas. I mean, that was, I mean, that was a a team with four perennial All Pros. Yeah, um, and, you know, and I, the one I thought of also, and I don't know what the numbers were on that, but I thought of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed in like the late 2000s. Yes, yes. Where I know both of them were first ballot Hall of Famers, but yep. to my point, I don't know if I can think of a better defensive player than in the NFL than Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and they both play on the same team. And I, I guess the Legion of Boom is a good one because Richard Sherman and J.J. Watt, I know, were the two best defensive players in football. And you could throw like Von Miller in there. And Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor are both going to have – Cam Chancellor will get in. I don't know about Earl Thomas. But both have cases for the Hall of Fame. But it's crazy to think right now that the two best defensive players in the NFL are both on the same team at this point. Yeah, I – I'm with you on Donald. I'm not quite there yet on um, on, on uh, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. I, I mean, I think he's definitely um, one of the top corners in the NFL. Uh, he's also profiting from having, as anyone who plays for the Rams in that secondary, is having such a um, you know prolific pass rush particularly up the middle, which today, which people are finding out is if you can pressure up the middle in the NFL, that leads to a lot of success. And uh, having Aaron Donald in that middle of, uh, is an immediate godsend for anyone who's playing cornerback for the Rams. Now, I like Ramsey, and I think he's physical, and I think that – but, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't think he's quite the shutdown corner that – people make him out to be but maybe i could i could be wrong but i've, I've seen him get beat a few times um like he did against the the uh the packers handled him 
really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I'm not ready to crown him best cornerback in the NFL, but he's right up there, you know, and he's young enough to claim that, that, that throne. Um, but talent wise, I'm with you. He's, you know, he's got every bit of talent as you would want at the position. We did a full podcast on this before, and I guess I just wanted to bring this up to you, is that now that the trade is finally done, in exchange for Jalen Ramsey, and also acknowledging that it took trading Jalen Ramsey to get Trevor Lawrence, but in the end, the Jaguars walked away with Clavon Chason, Travis Etienne, and Jordan Smith, who is a fourth-round linebacter, edge rusher, out of UAB. So that mm-hmm. that's what they walked away with in exchange for... Jalen Ramsey, who made all pro last season. It doesn't look yeah. great for the Jaguars right now. <laughs> well, Kavion Chason, I think if 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 he's healthy, it's gonna make a big impact for them. Um you know, uh and Travis Etienne he, don't get me started on that. I'm yeah, start... you're, you're a big fan of him, but also upset that he's now playing wide receiver for the Jaguars at this point. Well, they're just they're, – they're messing around. I mean, they're yeah. planning on playing him like, like uh, McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. He's the next McCaffrey. Um, you know, McCaffrey inside, outside. You're going to move him around the chessboard and um, use him as a receiver, use him as a running back. That's what they're going to do with ATN. ATN is um, a championship quality player, in my opinion. Um, he's got the the physical skills and the in, intense competitive com, competitiveness and nose for the end zone that few players have. And uh, I think he's. I thought it was a brilliant pick. You and I mocked it when we did our you know second mock um, mm-hmm. at that very pick. Because, you know, with Trevor and having the familiarity with ATN, I think that was a brilliant move. Yeah, Robinson's going to be fine. They're going to, you know, give him the ball. But don't let's not forget, it's going to be a 17-game season now. You're going to need a host of skilled players. I love what they did with that pick. And I, I, I think that it's going to pay dividends for them. And, yeah, I, and plus being able to be in a position to draft Trevor Lawrence – I mean, I I think it's not bad. Um, Well, it's always a victory because that's that's part of it that I that I acknowledge. And with all of these like these trades where it's very clear that a franchise is starting a rebuild, like Khalil Mack getting traded by the Raiders, Jamal Adams going to the Jets, the Odell Beckham trade for the Giants, like all those trades are, are made in order to set up your next season in terms of. Right. You are, yeah, your next season is, that draft pick is going to determine a lot. And you look at how those trades look in hindsight. The Raiders took Cleland Furl. Didn't work out quite as well for them. Um, He's not bad, but he was the number four pick in the draft when they passed on some pretty big names up there. Right. And then you've got, you know, the the Giants have botched pretty much every first round pick they've had under the Dave Gettleman era. And, and an extra one because they traded up in the first round to pick DeAndre Baker. Um, and then you have the Jets ended up walking away with Zach Wilson from the Jamal Adams trade. And the Jets Jaguars walk away with 
Trevor Lawrence by trading Jalen Ramsey. So that's the way like their successes in those respects, even if they're just byproducts of the trades that were made. Yeah. The other thing is, is that, you know, we're, what we're seeing now is players wanting out and being disgruntled with organizations and, you know, um, and having to, the have if you're a star, having the leverage to actually make things ugly enough to get a trade. Correct. And I don't know about you, but if I'm running an NFL team, if I have a guy who doesn't want to be here, I'll trade him. I don't care who he is. Get the most you can from him. You want guys who want to be there. <laughs> or at Holding the very least, you don't players. want things to go totally ugly because if things go ugly, that can tank your entire season. The Raiders, the Raiders, to their credit, did, were remarkably like well run after all the Antonio Brown stuff fell apart. Yeah, but I can look to like the the the, the thing everyone is afraid of is the James Harden situation in Houston, where it happens and then the season ends and the NBA season just ended. The Rockets had the worst record in the NBA. That's the yeah. thing everyone's petrified of is everything goes south and then everyone's getting fired. And yeah. that's where, like, to avoid things getting ugly, everyone's – unfortunately, it looks like Jack Easterby has total protection in Houston, but everyone's afraid of what happened in Houston where everything gets so ugly so fast that you as an organization are just like, so I guess we're going for the number one pick and we're just like, just wait and see when we can even trade these guys again. Cause you can't trade Tunsil right now. You can't trade Zach Cunningham right now. You got to wait till next off season and yeah. kind of just a mess. So I think everyone's kind of afraid of that situation. Sure. And you know, there are enough guys around and you just want to, I mean, I think the Cardinals have done a good job in the last couple of years of trying to weed out, kind of players who just weren't getting it done or, you know, um, kind of overpaid, uh, you know, and, and not giving the team the on the field leadership that they needed. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, like Patrick Peterson a couple of years ago in the middle of the season as a team captain wanted out. And ever since then, he's played with one foot in and one foot out, in my opinion. And now he's a Viking, and that's, I think, best for him, and it's best for the Cardinals. You can't have guys who just, you know, for whatever reason, want to call their own shots and do their own things. You, you need team-oriented guys um, who are willing to work, you know, with the team on salary cap and, you know, and not put them above the team, themselves above the team. And you got, like, you know, a host of NFL players who – who kind of think they deserve it. And, uh, you know, I, I, in this day and age, I think it hurts a team more than it helps to have a star player who's disgruntled and he's just, you know, sticking it out, hoping for a trade or, yeah. You know, and uh, one of the things that the star players are learning at this point is as soon as you request a trade, you are no longer like management. You are labor at that point. And unless you get lucky, like a Matthew Stafford, where the organization is like, we're going to abide and do right by you and even take less to put you in a situation you want to be in. 
unless you get lucky like that, you are labor and you're going to end up in a place that maybe you don't want to go to unless you get that no trade clause protection that like 20 or so star players have. But yes. as soon as you request that trade, you become labor again. <laughs> Even the star players who are like an extension of management and like corporate superstars. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, um, what I'm loving about the Cardinals is we have all these guys now saying they love being here. They, you know, they like the team's chances. Um, they love it in Arizona. It's a uh, win-win for you guys next year. Either you're going to turn the corner, Kyler's going to develop like a maniac, and you guys are going to make the playoffs, or you miss the playoffs and you have a built-in fall guy in Cliff Kingsbury. It's going to work out either way for you guys. Win-win next year. <laughs> yeah, well, I – I, I, you know, I, I have a feeling now, I think that as long as Cliff Kingsbury, as, as long as Kyler Murray keeps progressing and growing and improving, I think, you know, that's enough to keep Cliff Kingsbury's job, in my opinion. I mean, what he was the guy they, you know, was perfect guy to hire for Kyler, in my opinion. And I think that, you know, um, We we've talked we've talked to extent about the neutered air raid, so I I understand that part of it. But yes, I agree with your initial point there. Well, and that he's not running an air raid. Uh, He was coached out of that by Steve Kime and his veteran assistant coaches, who thought a balanced offense and without NFL principles was a better way to go. And you know they've they've made their case, and the Cardinals have pretty much uh committed to that and they've they've done pretty well um i we still don't know what the what the k raid would have looked like in the nfl everyone from the beginning or not everyone but most people from the beginning thought it was a bad idea because of chip kelly and i think someone's going to come along however um because now offenses are becoming so much more college-esque um i think some coach is going to come come down the pike and really make um, spread offense click. And I'd argue you know, that the, I'd argue the K rate or the, the neutered air rate is already existing in Kansas city. I'd argue that a lot of those principles are being used by Andy Reed at this point, but he's just such an offensive genius that he's going to, I can't even describe their offense. Cause he picks a little bit from McVay. He picks a little bit from the air rate. He picks a little bit from the West coast offense like sure. Andy Reid, Andy Reid is just on another level of offensive genius where I look and I'm like, I can't even tell what he's running because he's taking sure. like plays from the 1948 Rose Bowl and running them for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like this dude is just on another level of offensive play calling. Well, he is. And that's a great example. I mean, when you have a quarterback as diverse and multi-skilled as Mahomes, you know, and, and skill players. The, the kind of skill players he's he's put together um you know wow uh yeah i mean it wouldn't surprise me if he ran a version of the wing t a few times in the game. i mean <laughs> or if they not? just change change the entire offense and bring back the triple option wishbone <laughs> yeah why not you yeah. know, I mean, we're just messing around here the regular season is totally irrelevant to the chiefs let's just try all this crazy stuff out yeah and it, you know, it's it's fun for them, and you know, it's innovative. And I, I always think of basketball. What's the greatest basketball play ever? It's the pick and roll. 
Yeah, it's one of the most effective plays ever because it can get you either a three-pointer or it can get you the best shot in basketball, which is within two feet. Yeah, and it's great because it's difficult to defend if you execute it properly on offense. And, you know, no one's written the book as to how, you know, a lot of teams like to hedge it, but then if you hedge it, if you have a quick point guard like Trey Young, he can go opposite and get through to the hole. Um, you know, there's just uh, – it, it's just simple but amazingly hard to defend. And, you know, if you play inside on it, there you know, there are obvious counters. Uh, if you play outside on it, get beat inside, it, it's just it's, – and then you have the mismatches on switches for a fast point guard on a big man. And now a big man on a little man, um, you know, on a guard. It's great. I mean, yeah. and and there, that's the thing about, I think, why the RPO in the NFL and in college isn't going away anytime soon. In fact, I think it'll probably be a staple of most people's offenses for years and decades to come. Because, again, it's very difficult to defend it properly. I, I think that that's a great way to put it. And it's it leads me to the third question I was going to bring up earlier, which, again, this is just something I wrote down as we were going along about Kirk Cousins and the Vikings offense, because now I realize Clint Kubiak is the offensive coordinator, so it's definitely going to be the same offense they were running before. But yeah, what did you, this was a story that we didn't get traction on in the draft because it was just like 20 other stories going on, but – what yeah. did you make of like the the Vikings preparing for life post Kirk Cousins, despite just giving him a contract extension? Where they took Kellen Mond and they think that in a scenario he could replace Kirk Cousins in a certain circumstance, like they think he could be not just like these perennial backups, like he could give them significant minutes, a la like a Jalen Hurts, and they would have taken Justin Fields had he fallen down to fourteen. So the, the Vikings are very clearly thinking of life post Kirk Cousins. And this is always a difficult transition that as your Cardinals know, if you mess it up, it can kind of leave you in limbo for a while, but they at least had the foresight to, to take Kyler Murray and just bail on the Josh Allen project. But I don't, what did you make of like the Vikings looking to life post Kirk Cousins, similarly to the 49ers where these like these tier three quarterbacks that have been there for a while, Teams are starting to think about life after these quarterbacks, and except for the Raiders, who are just for some reason just indignant about keeping Derek Carr. Yeah, and let's mention Jordan Love in Green Bay. Um, you know, the Cardinals had a nice stretch with Arians in his first three years, and he went with veteran backup quarterbacks and only drafted one quarterback, who Logan Thomas, who's now a tight end and a pretty decent one in, with the Washington football team. And was it was also, after. people don't realize, was the number one tight end recruit coming out of high school. And they just said at Virginia Tech, we got to let him play quarterback. Like, his yeah. arm's just too ridiculous. So, yeah. Yeah, like and Bruce Arians was a hokey, and he went and worked Thomas out, and they dropped him in the fourth round. But Thomas had no chance. I mean, Bruce Arians loves Drew Stanton. Um, had Drew Stanton as QB two every every all five years and paid him handsomely. I mean, no young quarterback was going to get any reps 
with the first team offense with Carson Palmer there. And, and, you know, the only irony is the only one was your boy, Ryan Lindley, um, who, (laughs) who, you know, came in off the street. Didn't he start a playoff game one time? (laughs) Yeah. uh, After they cut him and then brought him back off the chargers practice squad, I believe it was to play in the, in down the stretch for them. um, When, you know, both Palmer and Stanton were hurt. But here's why Jason Light, he learned from the Cardinals, is, you know, life without Lar- Arians and life without Tom Brady. Let's get a quarterback in here so the cupboard isn't entirely bare when the coaches leave. And, you know, let's let's get a guy and groom him, you know. And um, it's just really wise. I, I you know, I, you know, everyone's making the big deal out of the Packers situation. The Packers don't get enough credit for drafting, you know, um, Aaron Rodgers when they did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Rodgers had to sit for three years to get his turn behind Brett Favre. But look, I mean, the Packers have had an outstanding quarterback for all these decades because of it. Yes. And if Jordan Love had to sit for three years, fine. But now you have the guy in your system. You know, you know, you know, you're you're developing him. And you know, so yes, let's get guys in place. That also now, I think the teams are starting to adjust to the thought of these seventeen game seasons and realizing that you know backup quarterbacks are going to be more in demand than ever. Uh huh. Um, if you know, certain quarterbacks aren't going to be able to hold up for 17 games. So you have to have a guy who's ready. And Yeah, I think Case Keenum's making like $18 million to never play for the Cleveland Browns now. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's a thing that's going on right now. <laughs> well, you know, it's smart. and um, But conversely, like I, I'm not a big fan of the Cardinals signing Colt McCoy. Um, first of all, he's never really won. Um you know, Except sure that one magical season at Texas where he beat Sam Bradford, and I still remember watching that game and being confused. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's not a, you know, terrible by any means, and he's a, you know, um, been a perennial solid backup, I guess, you know. But yeah, although his record wouldn't indicate it. Um, but he's no, he got, but he got Cleveland Brown. He he got yeah. unfortunately drafted by the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> He's been on perennially bad teams, at least when he was with them. And, you know, so that's part of the record deal. And he's a tough kid and everything. But, um, you know, people are saying, well, he'll be a mentor to Kyler. Uh, no. There's Kyler nothing. Doesn't... I don't think there's anything Colt McCoy can teach Kyler Murray other than the intangibles of. But even then, like Kyler Murray, it's not like Kyler Murray's like a bum who's not working hard. Like it's, I don't know if there's anything Colt McCoy can teach Kyler Murray at this point. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, if, if Murray goes out and you're placing him with Colt McCoy, does that like get everyone excited? I, I don't think it does. It's on a scale of one to replacing Aaron Rodgers with Blake Bortles. It's probably like an eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd actually prefer Bortles 
to tell you the truth. And here's I know I know people are pro like sitting love, but I do have to say if there is any scenario where Blake Bortles starts a snap over a healthy Jordan Love, I will immediately declare Jordan Love a bust. He is well, immediately yeah, I, a bust if he can't beat out Blake Bortles for the starting job. <laughs> you know, it's so touch and go with in the NFL because I remember that when the Jags had the Patriots on the rope in the NFC AFC championship game, Blake Bortles was playing brilliant football in that game under the highest of pressure on the road at Gillette stadium. I mean, they were kicking butt the whole game long and it weren't for a couple of just fluky mistakes down the stretch. Um, You know, the Jaguars would have been in that, Super Bowl um, because they they really played great in that game and Bortles played a fantastic game and you know against any quarterback who can play fantastic against a Bill Belichick defense and what he tries to do to confuse you is a-okay in my book and then we all learned that Blake Bortles was being disguised all season by running those naked bootlegs where he tried scrambling to his right and uh they T-boat him a little bit where they called weird run plays in the offense because they're like, let's just not have Blake throw the football. Let's call runs because we don't want him to throw the ball at all down the field. And well, in I, that I, I, a doubt in those playoffs, he threw the ball great. I mean, yes, was, Blake Bortles was, had two of the best game. No, he had six and a half of the best quarters of football he's ever played at the Absolutely. Absolutely. And why he wasn't able to build off of that is because well, he's not good. Me. That's why he couldn't build off. Of I don't buy, I, I think he is good. I think that, you know, he's so much a quarterbacking depends on what system you're in, how you're coached, you know, how your team's doing, what kind of defense you have, what kind of running game you have. You know, there are a lot of these factors and um, like, uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky, uh, Mitch Trubisky, I think is still very talented. Yes, I agree. I, I think that, you know, and he's a very good athlete and he's got a good arm. But I think that, you know, I don't think he was in the right system in Chicago. And right from the get-go, the, the Chicago media was all over that kid. This is the part that people don't realize because we talked about this last year a lot when it was like Foles or Trubisky, Trubisky or Foles. We said the whole time, uh, me and our buddy Blake Jude, who's our like NFL draft scout, like we kind of agreed during the season, like they'd be better with Trubisky over Foles, but neither really moves the needle. Like Mitchell Trubisky is a fringe level starter in the NFL, right. but. He gets a bad reputation. I think it's why he didn't get one of those good backup jobs, like why he had to go back up Josh Allen. And only if Josh Allen gets hurt does he get a chance to prove himself with a great team. The problem for Trubisky is that he wasn't Mahomes and that he wasn't Deshaun Watson. And because of that, he gets stigmatized across the league where teams weren't willing to take a chance on him as a backup because they're like, our fan base is not going to respond well if we walk up with Trubisky. Even the Bears, like the Bears were in like, Bears fans were kind of in an abusive relationship with Trubisky where they had moved on and then he came back at the end of the season <laughs> and they were like, 
We, we have moved on from you. Why are you back here? Why are you starting a playoff game where you're not actually that bad? It's just the rest of your team has no chance against the Saints because you're a 5-11 and team that won eight games. <laughs> oh, you are funny. Yeah. yeah. That one. Why are you? You know, and fans are just have no patience. I mean, it's like if a guy's not crushing it right away – it's already like a bust, you know. Because the one thing I'm surprised fans realized, and I think getting a rookie quarterback is always exciting, but they recognize with the rookie wage scale, if your quarterback isn't good in two years, it's not worth it to keep waiting. Because what are you going to get? The right to pay them $28 million a year? Like, it, 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 it's incentivized to just draft another one, draft another one, because the rookie wage scale sets it up that way where – the best time to get a quarterback is within the first five years of their contract. And the, the, the whole math is changing as you talked about where the average quarterback salary on a second contract is now like $32 million, I think. So the math yeah. is changing on this game now where if right. the quarterback's not good in two or three years, like drew lock, this is the one we talk about a lot. Like there is no incentive for the Broncos to keep trying drew lock because if he's a semblance of okay, what you're gonna have to pay him 20 25 million dollars or if you're the jets and sam darnold if darnold stunk next year and you didn't draft zach wilson then you have no quarterback and no ability to get a quarterback and now the panthers are literally that they have i think no quarterback i think darnold could be all right to be honest like they're gonna pick up his fifth year option they're gonna give him two years Darnold, if he's not good, you have no quarterback and enough talent to where, yeah, if a Justin Fields falls, you're going to be okay. But Justin Fields just fell in the draft and you passed on him. So it's it's always confusing with the rookie wage scale how to figure out your quarterback position. See, I, maybe I'm from a different planet, but I, I, I feel like I like Drew Locke. I like his talent. I think he's got enormous potential. But I don't think he's played long enough. And, you know, I want I go back to when the Cardinals signed Kurt Warner as a free agent. You know, when, the, when players come into a different system and they're playing within a system that they're not accustomed to, it takes time, even for KG veterans. Like Carson Palmer will tell you, it took him three quarters of the first season when Arian's offense to feel like, some tincture of confidence in that he knew it and could run it. Um, Kurt Warner for the first couple of years that the Cardinals had him was awful. He was a turnover magnet held onto the ball too long. Balls were, you know, getting sack fumbles, strip, strip fumbles was throwing ill-timed interceptions in the red zone. I mean, he, you know, just didn't look good at all. Um, occasionally, but, but not, you know, mostly just bad, and the team was losing. But suddenly, you know, here's what, you know, um, Ken Wisenhunt did, which Bruce Arians did with, with Tom Brady. Is once Ken Wisenhunt let Warner call his own offense, everything changed. I the mean, problem, became... The problem for Drew Locke, though, is – Last year, 57% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, and a 3.4 interception percentage, which this may have changed. I don't know what the exact number is now, but 
at one point, the 3.4 interception percentage was the worst among quarterbacks who have started, I think, 12 or more games since that year Jameis threw 30 interceptions, which might have been 2019, to be honest. So maybe only one year. But I get was, that. Yeah. I get that. But that's how you learn. And I, I, you know, that's some you go back, look at some of the better quarterbacks. They've had years like that where you just were, you know, had had a tough season and made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, everyone also, dreams of a Josh Allen. I agree with you on that. Everyone dreams of a Josh Allen type turnaround where it's like, we were proven right. He was bad for two years, but now he's great. <laughs> right. And then you also had the fact that last year, the, the Broncos were behind in so many of their games and, you know, up against the, the wall. And I don't know how good, I don't think their offensive line was very good. Do you? Um, I do know that Garrett Bowles did have the greatest turnaround in the history of the NFL, where he went from the most penalized offensive lineman in the NFL to the four, to having four total penalties last year and got a weird contract extension. Yep. Other than that, I can't name you another offensive lineman on the Broncos. I think they had like Questenberry or something, but I maybe yeah, yeah. Graham Glass now, who used to be on the Lions, but like I, I don't think I can name you with certainty any other Broncos offensive lineman. Right. Uh, you know, I, I just, I just think some guys that you pull the plug on too soon, um, that suddenly it can click, particularly being in the same system. Didn't they change offensive coordinators again? Uh, they did last year. So Shermer's coming back. Bland asked Pat Shermer's coming back next year. But, yes, they did change coordinators when uh, – I forgot who their coordinator was the first year with Fangio. But, yeah, they hired a new coordinator. So this will now be their third coordinator in three years, right? Oh, I, don't, I think Pat Shermer – I think it's two in three because I think Shermer is still the Broncos – yeah, he's still the Broncos offensive coordinator. So – Locks oh, rookie se- Locks rookie season where he started five games. I don't know who the offensive coordinator was. Right. Then okay. they went to then they went to Pat Shermer who did it last year, and then Pat Shermer is going to be back this year. So okay. this so, is his second year under Shermer. Also, he- I love that the most asked question on Google when you type Pat Shermer is is Pat Shermer a good offensive coordinator? <laughs> yeah, and we've talked about that a little bit, but here here it is again. Yeah. So Lock comes in as a rookie. He learns a new system. Then his offensive coordinator is fired. In comes Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer runs a different system. Now he's learning a new system in a pandemic year where you can't even be on the field. He goes out and has, you know, like you said, 16 to 15 interception, uh, touchdown to interception ratio. Um, but look at Pat Shermer in New York. How well did Eli Manning play for him? Learning, learning Shermer's system, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. Shermer had his best seasons in Minnesota when he had Bradford and and um, you know Keenum. Case Keenum, yeah, right. And you know he had those guys together for a few years, and they you know and and got them rolling. But it yeah, takes, and then it got it, it got Chase Keenum eighteen million dollars from the Browns to not to never play for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it takes time. I, I I think that you know put a guy in that in a system and give him enough time if he's got the requisite talents. And I mean, Drew Locke's got a great arm. 
mm-hmm. and he can move around some. Um, and I, I give him a mulligan on last year just because you know learnings, you know um, Shermer's system, where a veteran like uh, you know Eli Manning struggled in it. Um, you know, give him some time. Let's not pull the plug on him yet. And I guess he's going to have some time because they didn't. They elected at nine, which shocked me to not take a quarterback with Justin Fields on the board. Yeah, and a new GM. That was all shocking. The Panthers one I could understand because the Panthers have just the the Panthers have doomed themselves to mediocrity. But the Broncos one that was like, oof. I, I mean. Really? Well, I, I get what the Panthers are doing because they they think they've got a guy a guy they like in Darnold, and yeah, you know, I I mean, they made that commitment and they want to they want to see if they can pull that off, and I think they're with the kind of talent they have, they might be able to do that. But and I agree with you, I think they're content on picking up a twenty million million fifth year option. Which is pretty yeah. cheap for a quarterback, anyway. They're they're getting off. If he's know, on... good, yes. If he's good, then if he gets benched, then so be it. Like you're not going to have an expensive backup if you're the Carolina Panthers. Like right. it's not it's not the worst thing in the world when you have cap space. Right. They're planning on him being good, and I I respect him for that. Um, I think if Trey Lance had been there, it would have been a different story. I think they would have taken Trey Lance. I think so would have the Broncos. Mm-hmm. For whatever reasons, Justin Fields got kicked down the board, and I just still don't quite understand that. I think there's some misperceptions about him. Um, but uh, I, I think the Bears made a great move coming up to to take him. Um, oh, I, I do, gonna... I do too. There. So I think I I think he's going to be awesome, and he has never looked happy one time to be a Chicago Bear. Just never has looked happy to be a Bear at this point. <laughs> oh, I I, I don't think it's that. I think he wasn't happy. The whole draft process was really yeah. tough on him. I yeah. mean, I any player who went through the kind of scrutiny that he did, and right, I mean, how many times has a guy? I mean, he outplayed. Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs. I mean, clearly, if you didn't know the difference and you didn't know who was, you know, the prohibitive favorite to go number one in the draft and you watched that game, you would have thought it was Justin Fields. Yeah, for Uh, sure. You you know, I I mean, and, you know, Fields never lost a Big Ten game, right? I mean. Mm, Yeah, yeah, you're right. But Lawrence never lost an ACC game. It's a really tricky slope to watch. But, yeah, I don't think he ever lost a Big Ten game in two years. I think – didn't Lawrence – didn't they lose – They lost to Notre Dame, but Lawrence was out with COVID. True. Was he was one. he was out at that point. Yeah, but I was thinking back to – wasn't it his, Syracuse? So, his, his, so, Trevor Lawrence has lost five games. Uh, Syracuse was with Kelly Bryant. So – Okay. That Trevor Lawrence has lost five games since high school. Three in high school, one to LSU in the national championship, and one to Ohio State last year. Those Amazing. are his only awesome. losses and since high school. <laughs> He's going right. to lose more games by October. It's remarkable. <laughs> right. And the two quarterbacks he lost to are Joe Burrow and Justin Fields. Go figure on that one. Burrow was a number one pick. Fields somehow was scrutinized unmercifully. And slid down on a greasy slope. Um, 
you know, for the Bears uh, to go get was, him. And and the 49ers took a quarterback who has what 16 starts at a um at a subdivision school. Um mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously very very talented and a, and a great football mind and lots of lots of promise with with Trey Lance. No no question about it, but when you have a guy like I mean, looking back, I mean, people didn't realize, but but Justin Fields was like the hottest prospect coming out of high school in in a while, um, you know, and and the Georgia hit the jackpot when they, but that that situation in Georgia was messy too. I mean, some guys just sort of wind up in difficult spots, like Kyler Murray did at Texas A and M. Um, mm-hmm. and, and ended up transferring. Because, uh, hey, I mean, who's a better quarterback? Justin Fields or or Fromm? Jake Fromm. Yeah, 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 Justin Fields, no question. Right? I mean, it's yeah. a no-brainer. But somehow... The, Georgia went with the incumbent instead of the Fromm. more talented. Yeah. And Fromm was playing pretty well. I mean, I, you know, I, I get, get it in one sense. But, I mean, at the very least they could have done a platoon system with them and you know um and kept fields happy and grooming him um i don't know but he was one of their he's probably their most prized quarterback recruits since stafford yeah um, and they, they let him walk out the door they and they let him walk from. out the door which is you know sort of mind-boggling and he's from that part of the country so yeah, they should have started him over from the whole way for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, you would think it, but uh, and that probably raised some eyebrows. But then he gets to Ohio State, and Ryan Day loved the kid, and you know, and did fantastic with him at QB. Um, I think also the Big Ten starting late this past season and having their sort of weird season didn't help. Because they only play what five games, mm-hmm. and they. I think barely... I think Fields got eight in total. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you know. I mean, yeah. So six in the regular season, they got a sixth in there, and then he played two in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Plus maybe so, a big tw- Big Ten championship somewhere in there. So yeah, maybe nine. Then, maybe nine. You know, I, I there are. You know, when Kyler was in the draft process, I mean, Charlie Castley's on TV saying everyone he talked to said he was a horrible interview and doesn't know, can't, couldn't command the whiteboard. Um, you know, some of these quarterbacks coming in are getting, I think, insanely scrutinized uh, way beyond what they should, in my opinion. Um, and, you're you're more why. of a patience. You're a patience is key kind of person. Well, it is, and you're, <laughs> you know, all depends. One man's junk is a man another man's treasure. I mean, you just watch the tape and see guys play. It's pretty basic that, you know, does he have good instincts? Does is he a good athlete? Is can he throw the ball and the money? Can he extend plays? Can he, you know, Kyler Murray checked every box you'd ever want to watch on a, on game tapes, right? You've go back to his co- his high school days. I mean, he'd been doing it for ages. And how Texas A&M ever let him out of their clutches 
particularly with his dad as an, a, a former quarterback at A&M, uh, Kevin Murray, um, mm-hmm. is, you know, but it took this just ridiculous um, coaching staff and plus recruiting like, you know, Allen and the other quarterbacks at the same time, which, which made things difficult. Um, you know, Kyle Allen, right? So, and they had three, three, like five-star quarterbacks there while Kyler was there. Um, yeah. And, you know, then Kyler had to sit out those years. I mean, it's, it's tough. And so Justin Fields had a similar track is he had to, you know, go to Ohio state, then seize his chance, which he did handsomely. And, and suddenly he's QB four. Um, in his draft class, despite all the success and the... Despite being maybe the greatest high school quarterback non-Trevor Lawrence division in the state of Georgia. It's yeah. yeah, crazy. I know. Uh, it's... So, I, I, I don't know. I, I think yeah. that there's a good chance he might end up being the best quarterback of, of this batch. Um I think if, we're both in consensus on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty much NFL ready. I, I think they'll probably start Dalton at the beginning of the season. Um, so they're going to TJ Yates him, and I call it TJ Yates because the Texans started TJ Yates over Deshaun Watson for one game. <laughs> so they're going to TJ Yates him <laughs> into the NFL. Yeah, I, I think it's likely that Dalton will get more than one game, but you know, if, if Dalton's winning, they won't change. It'll be a Mahomes year. That's uh, going to be ridiculous, but there's fields. no chance. They, they just don't have enough talent. So that, I don't think that can happen, especially because they play the Rams week one. They lose that. They're going right to, <laughs> to Justin Fields. <laughs> well now, well now wait a minute. They re-signed Allen Robinson, right? Technically. I think he's got the franchise tag signed. Okay. So that's huge. That in itself. Um, I, I actually, I, now that I look back on it, they play at Cincinnati week two. So I think Dalton might start that one. He might get to start week two at Cincinnati. <laughs> in an emotional come, you know, return yeah. home game. I get it. Yep. <laughs> they'll get to start that. Then they'll bench him after that. Let's, let's change that on the schedule. They'll give him two games. They'll play at Cincinnati. The NFL schedule purpose i know that too they put cincinnati early because they're like we can't put it in week nine because he's not going to be playing in week nine <laughs> well you have naggy and the gm getting fired this year no matter what anyway right i genuinely i mean i don't i they should um but <laughs> i again I, if the bar is the playoffs if they're saying you have to make the playoffs to keep your job i don't think they have enough talent to make the playoffs i don't think there's any way that they can make the playoffs yeah, so. well, they made it last year. Yeah, but they were a five and eleven team that DeAndre Swift dropped a touchdown in the end zone, and the Falcons blew a sixteen point lead, and the Cardinals choked at the end of the season. Like the oh, Bears were, the Bears were one of the lucky. Me. Yeah, the Bears were one of the luckiest teams in the NFL last year. That's in terms true. Of That's Swift drop. Oh man! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.